This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Good morning, everyone. I've got a question for you. What was the first film you ever saw in the cinema? Do you remember? What was the first film you ever Bambi for Melinda? Nice, nice. Like the Jungle Book for Ruben, very nice, very nice. Some of you might expose your age if you uh, say what it was. Uh, but uh, whose first film was in black and white they saw in the cinema? Anyone in that? Yeah, a few ways. Nice, nice. Very good, very good. Well, the first film that I ever saw in the cinema was The Lion King, the Disney classic, The Lion King. First film I ever saw in the cinema. And I remember two things from that day. One, I remember eating all of the popcorn before the film had even started. Classic. I did that for most of my childhood. Uh, And secondly, I remember one scene in particular from the film that completely stood out and I will never forget. It rocked me as a child. And it's the scene with Mufasa, Scar, and Simba. And if you've seen The Lion King, you'll never forget this scene. Have a little look at the screen. So Mufasa, King Mufasa, you see him there, his brother Scar, as he tries to rescue his son Simba, Scar kills his brother, saying, long live the king before he throws him to his death. And Simba, if you remember the story, has to make a run for it to try and survive. And I remember seeing that scene as a kid, and I was so angry, like I hated Scar, I was so angry with him, so sad that Mufasa, this kind king, was dead and was killed in the pursuit of trying to save his son. Now, what if the film had ended there? What if that had been the end of the story, if, if me as a little kid had gone to the Odeon and that had been the final scene and we'd gone home? Well, that would have been a tragic story. 
It would have been pretty upsetting. It would have been uh, a, bit, a bit kind of depressing, so hopeless. But the truth is, the story doesn't end there. The story has more to unfold. And it ends with victory, victory for Simba. He goes out into the wilderness. He makes friends with Timon and Pumbaa. He falls in love. He comes back and he defeats Scar. It ends in victory and he takes up his rightful place as king. Now, when I watch it back, it doesn't affect me in the same way that it used to. And that's for a couple of reasons. Partly because I'm about 30 years older now than when I first watched it. But secondly, because I know how the story ends. I know how the story ends. And there's something about knowing how the story ends that affects how we feel about the things that we see. Because we know what happens with Simba in the end, our feelings as we view that scene is very different than the first time we saw it when we didn't know what was going to happen. And at the moment, we're going through a series called Knowing Jesus. And the truth about Jesus is that when we know how his story ends, it changes everything. And knowing the end of Jesus' story affects how we feel about the end of our story, which affects how we live today. So what was the end of Jesus' story? Well, often when we talk about Jesus, often when I'm talking to, to friends of mine who aren't part of the church, I'm telling them kind of about my belief and my faith and about Jesus. They say, well, didn't Jesus die? Like, isn't that kind of the end of the story? Jesus died. And when you look at the symbol of Christianity, what is it? It's the cross. It's the cross. And maybe you've seen uh, the cross and, you know, that's a picture of death, of execution. Maybe you've seen crosses where Jesus is still on the cross and it's kind of, you know, that was the end. Jesus died and, and that's what we remember as Christians, Jesus' death. But was that actually the end of the story? Well, let's read the end of the story in one of the accounts of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath... So Jesus has died on the cross, and it says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb where Jesus was buried. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that picture, this angel just chilling on the, 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 the stone outside the tomb. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards, these are the Roman guards guarding the, the tomb, they trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So what's happened here is Mary Magdalene and some of the other women who are Jesus' closest friends and followers have gone to the tomb to pay their respects to mourn the death of the beloved Jesus. Now you have to think about what's going through their heads. 
They've just seen this man that they've given their life to, that they followed, that they've trusted and believed in, that had said he was going to set up this eternal kingdom. Instead of setting up this amazing kingdom, he's just been crucified. He was nailed to a cross. They've seen him naked and bleeding and dying. Perhaps they felt betrayed or confused. Jesus, he he promised all these things, but his ministry lasted three years. Is that all? Is that what we signed up for? And so they go to the tomb filled with all these emotions. And what happens? Well, they come to the tomb and there is this angel sat on the stone that has been rolled back. The tomb is empty and Jesus is not there. And the angel says, he's not here for he has risen. Go and tell the disciples what's happened. And in the coming days, Jesus then appears to various people. To different, like on the road to Emmaus and to his disciples. And at one point he appears to the disciples and he shows the scars in his side and the wounds in his hands to them. And I always find this amazing because, to be honest, if I was Jesus and I'd just risen from the dead, I'd be thinking, look, I, I want to be risen in a state in which any scars are gone. I don't want to have scars in my hands and in my side. And that's a sign of defeat. And yet for Jesus, his scars are trophies of triumph. The scars in his hands and the wound in his side, a picture of turning death into life. What looked like a defeat, now the greatest victory in the history of all time. There is a man in heaven with scars in his hands. And the truth is, Jesus is in the business of turning death into life. Defeat into victory. This is what he does. When it seems like there's no hope, he brings his breakthrough. And this is what Jesus does. See, the tomb is empty. And let's be clear, this is a unique claim. This isn't kind of like what all the world religions say. Well, let's just come up with some story about how our our leader died and rose again. This is kind of, you know, the playbook of world religions. No, this is a unique claim. The tomb is empty. Look, if you want to go and visit Muhammad's body, you can go see his grave in Saudi Arabia. If you want to go and visit Buddha's remains, you can go to India. You cannot go and visit Jesus' body because he is risen. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. That is what happens in the story of Jesus. The grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him back. Sin and shame were defeated as Jesus rose from the dead. So is that the end of the story? Is that where we can say the end and move forward and say, okay, well, we know the story of Jesus, it's over. Well, no, there's still more to the story. Because what happened next isn't that Jesus kind of grew old and lived to his 70s and set up kind of Jesus Christ ministries and lived off like, you know, the royalties for a few decades and then kind of had a a nice slow death in his sleep or anything like that. No, that isn't the end of Jesus' story. Let's read again what happens with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. In John uh, chapter 20, verse 17, it explains this takes place. Jesus appears to Mary and says, Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. What he's saying to to Mary in other words is, don't stop me, Mary. There's still more to the story. There's still more to the story. There's still more that needs to be done because I'm going to ascend to my father. And for many Christians like myself and in churches like ours, we often talk about the birth of Jesus, don't we? The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. But how often do we talk about the ascension of Jesus? Like if you look in a lot of church traditions around the world and throughout church history, celebrating and remembering the ascension of Jesus was a really central event. In fact, for many churches this year, they'll be celebrating Ascension Day. Now, I don't know if anyone here knows off the top of their head when Ascension Day is this year. I had no idea. I had to Google it just as much as you would have to. Ascension Day on the 26th of May this year where Christians remember Jesus ascending into heaven. So what took place at the ascension? Well, it talks about this in Acts chapter 1. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, this is Jesus, Lord, so this is after he's risen from the dead, this is 40 days later, they're talking to Jesus and they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, ascended, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends into heaven. He ascends into the clouds as the disciples are watching. But then what happened? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit was poured out. If you keep reading in the story, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people. But what happens to Jesus? What happens to him? Well, we've looked at the resurrection. We've looked at the ascension. Now let's take a look at the enthronement of Jesus, the enthronement. In Romans 8, verse 34, it says, Christ Jesus is the one who died More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So in this description, we see a a picture of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, seated on a throne. And this is the picture of Jesus that we get throughout the New Testament, the risen, ascended, enthroned Jesus. If you read in Acts or Ephesians or Colossians or Revelation, Jesus is pictured on a throne in full power and authority. And this picture of Jesus on the throne is one that fulfills a prophecy that had been given hundreds of years before by the prophet Daniel. And it says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, like a human being. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is, everlasting, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. King Jesus is now ascended and seated on the throne. That is his position right now. He has taken his rightful place as king with all power and authority. And he is ruling and reigning in his everlasting people, one that is made up of every nation and tribe and tongue. And you know what? There is still even more to the story. See, the ascended Jesus will return as king. He will return one day as king. In Revelation 21, right at the end of the Bible, right at the end of the biblical story, as it points to the end of the story of human being and the beginning of the next story after that, it says this. This is John, his vision of that day. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. I love this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my song. Wow. Wow. A day is coming where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. King Jesus' heavenly reign will one day be fully realized. But Jesus will bring his divine judgment, vindicating the downtrodden, judging his enemies, and making all things new. His promises that he says are trustworthy and true are that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Now, why does all of this matter? What is the significance of the resurrection, the ascension, the enthronement of Jesus? What difference does it make to your life today? I mean, it's amazing to read about. It's amazing to think about. But as you leave that door today, what difference does any of this make? Well, the truth is, knowing the end of Jesus' story helps you and I to know the end of our story. Now, what does a secular society say that the end of a human being's story is? 
We live, we die, and then we're no more. You go into the ground, you're cremated, or whatever it is, and you are cease to be in existence. That's the end of your story. This life is all there is. And off the back of that, materialism, living in a materialist society like we do, makes complete sense, makes absolute sense. Because if this life is all there is, then make sure that you have the best life possible. You only live once, so make sure you get all the things you can, all the experiences you can. Get everything for yourself that is possible. And if there's no God, then there's no king, then build your own kingdom. Make your own rules. Build your own treasures, because there is no God or king. And of course, make sure to extend, do everything you can to extend your life as much as possible because this is the only life you'll ever experience. So make sure you increase your comfort and do all you can, make it your primary goal to live as long, as long, as long as possible by any means. But what happens at the end of that story? Well, the story ends with death. That's the end of the story. And ultimately, everything you built, everything you had, all of your kingdom is meaningless. Because you can't take it to the grave. It's just kind of atoms. It's just kind of stuff. It didn't really mean anything. And ultimately, even though you fought and fought and fought with death, death always wins. I don't know anyone myself, I don't know maybe your friends or family who's managed to defeat death yet. Death always wins. No amount of vitamins or vaccines, spinach or surgery, can stop death from coming to you and I. It might help, and I think living healthily is really important. It's a good value. But however healthy we are, death is coming for each of us. And is that the end of the story? Is that truly where all of this ends? In meaninglessness? And just going into the ground, and that's the end of it. Well, let me tell you a different story. A story from Ephesians 2. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What that passage is saying is that when we are in Christ, his story becomes our story. When we are in Christ, his story becomes our story. It says that when we are in him, we are seated in heavenly places. You might say, John, I don't really feel that. I don't know if you see the sofa that I'm usually seated on in my little lounge. It doesn't really feel like I'm seated in heavenly places. But the truth of you and I, if you're in Christ, is that your life, you are seated in heavenly places. And it might not feel right now like a reality. It might not feel particularly kind of uh, tangible or, or even necessarily true. But the truth of your life, if you are in Christ, is that because of him, because of Jesus, because of how his story ends, your story is that you are now seated forevermore in heavenly places. That is your story. His story has become our story. 
The truth is that knowing the end of Jesus' story helps us know the end of our story, which changes how we live now. See, if Jesus is the exalted king and he rules and he reigns, and we know that we are seated in heavenly places, then that truth changes everything. It changes everything. And that phrase, it changes everything, I know that gets overused in our society massively. Like you might say, you know, I, I said this phrase I remember a while back, which is embarrassing, but I remember saying, when I discovered ice lattes, it changed everything. I mean, how ridiculous is that? I don't even have them in the summer anyway, and it's, no, it's not particularly great. But if you do like it, I'd recommend a Costa one over the Nero, but we can talk about that later. It's a bit relevant, but it does change everything. But no, seriously, we say that phrase, this changes everything. Every ad, this changes everything. The new iPhone, blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool, nice. But no, the truth is, when you are in Christ, when you know that he has defeated sin, sin, death, and the grave, then that genuinely changes everything. It really does. It changes everything about how we live. How so? Well, when we know that we are under the rule of the risen and reigning King Jesus, that we are with him and in him and seated in heavenly places, it gives us peace. It gives us peace. And peace is the one thing that every single one of us in this room and outside it is desperate for. We're desperate for peace. And it gives us peace about death and it gives us peace about life. First of all, peace about death. My granddad was born in 1898. 1898, not the last century, the century before. My granddad was born in 1898. Some of you are saying, how old are you, John? Like, how? The truth is, I have a great plastic surgeon. And if you want to find out more, come grab me after. <laughs> it changed everything. That Botox, praise God. But my grandpa was born in 1898. I never met him. Jack Baker, and uh, so just two generations ago, my mum's dad, when he was born, Jack Baker, the average life expectancy in our country was 45. When my grandpa was born, the average life expectancy in our country where we live was 45. A hundred years before that, in 1800, the average life expectancy was 39. Right now, in the UK, the average life expectancy is 81. We live twice as long as my grandpa's generation and the generation before that. And despite that, despite living longer than we ever have, despite having the best technology medically that we've ever had, the best research, the best treatment, the best pain medication, despite all of those things, studies are showing that anxiety about health and death are going up and up and up. How does that make sense? We live longer, we have better treatment, better pain medication, better all these different things, and yet we're more anxious about health and death than we've ever been. Why is that? Why is that? As a society, we're terrified of death. Death is a huge taboo. You know, it, it was joked that the Victorians, and this is probably very fair to say, the Victorians spoke all the time about death and never about sex. And in our society, we talk all the time about sex and we hate to talk about death. It's the truth. It's a taboo. It's one of the great taboos. 
We, we, when we try to talk about it, we just say weird things. Or we try to avoid it. It's because we're very uncomfortable about the thought of death. And the last couple of years has really revealed just how shallow, empty, and hopeless our society's story for death really is. It's been exposed in a massive way. And this is why knowing Jesus makes all the difference. This is why everything we're talking about today, about knowing the story you are in, has a huge impact on your life and on your peace. Because if you know you are in Jesus, and that death is not the end of the story, then you can have peace as you look it in the face. See, we know there is a different ending, and we can have a radically different outlook as a result. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean that death isn't sad, that it doesn't lead us often to great sadness. Of course not. We still mourn, especially when it's young people or it's sudden or we never got the opportunity to say goodbye. And I understand that. I can massively relate to it. A year ago, I was sat in a hospital bedroom in Western Supermare with my, my Auntie Liz. My Auntie Liz was like a second mum to me. She never married, never had kids, and she was always in our house. She was really like a second mum to me and my brother. And um, a year ago, uh, I, I whizzed over to Weston because I heard that she was about to pass. It would happen very quickly. And um, yeah, I was sat at her, her hospital bed. And, and even though she was a Christian, even though I knew all the, the, the kind of the theology of death, I didn't want my auntie to die. I was praying that God would somehow heal her if she was there completely out of it with all the tubes and the beeping and the nurses saying she's only got a few hours left. I didn't want her to die. And when she did, I was deeply upset when she died that night. And I never got to say goodbye. But the incredible truth about that moment is that even though I never got to say goodbye to my auntie in that hospital room, is I wish I could have. Because she knew Jesus... Because she was in Christ, because he was the one that she was so in love with. She, if you knew my auntie, she was just always talking about him. Her whole life revolved around Jesus. Because she was in Christ, in that moment, in that horrible hospital room with the beeping in the tubes and all of that, as much as that looked like a really unglorious, horrible moment, as her life ended, she was then in glory. And even though I couldn't say goodbye in that moment, it would never have been a goodbye anyway. It would have been a see you soon. And one day, I will see my Auntie Liz in heaven again, without the tubes, without the the kind of gaunt face and the cancer and all the things that ruined her in the last few moments. And your loved ones, if in Christ, it's never goodbye. It's always see you soon. That is the hope we have in Jesus. It's why in 1 Thessalonians 4 it says we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Yes, we mourn, but we don't mourn like those who have no hope, like this is the end of the story. When we mourn, it's a very different sort of mourning. It's why when you go to a Christian's funeral, it's a bit of a weird one, because you're kind of crying and celebrating at the same time. Have you ever experienced that? It's kind of like, oh, I miss you so much, but now you're in glory. Now you're the fullness of what you were created to be. And one day, I will see you again. 
That is the beauty of knowing how Jesus' story ends, which is how our story ends. And that's how we can have peace, brothers and sisters, in life as we think about death. Because death does not get the final say. Charles Spurgeon said this, We Christians do not believe that Jesus Christ was the only one that ever rose from the dead. We believe that every deathbed is a resurrection, that from every grave the stone is rolled away. That is our hope, that every grave the stone is rolled away because his story has become our story. So we can have peace about death. We can also have peace about life. What are you going through right now? What are some of the struggles that you're facing? The truth is, and as someone who's involved in pastoral ministry, and if you're involved in people's lives, you'll know this to be true as well. In our church right now, even in this room, it's represented huge amounts of pain, of struggle, of suffering, of confusion, of heartbreak, hurt, and loss. Each one of us, whether you're not going through it now, at some point you're going to experience that. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe it's an emotional or mental thing that's afflicting you. Maybe it's regret and shame that you just can't seem to shake. Maybe it's things that have been done to you or things that you've done to others. All of us carry these things in life. But the promise of Jesus, the story of Jesus, is that one day he will make all things new. That our lives now are never the end of the story. See, if we want to buy into this secular idea that this is all that there is, then to be honest, if you've had mistakes and regrets and pain and loss and you're going through ailments and all these different things, then that is deeply, deeply depressing because this life is all you'll experience. And what a horrible way to spend all of your life experience. That's so depressing. How tragic. But the story of Jesus is that one day every tear will be wiped away. Sickness will be no more. Cancer will be no more. That shame, that regret you feel will be no more. He will wipe away every tear. He will make all things new. What you experience right now is not the end of your story. That is the story of Jesus. And for those of us in him, that becomes our story. And as well as that, As well as having a future glory, we know that Jesus is with us in our pain now. And that gives us peace too. See, if you're saying, look, John, I know you're saying all that, but to be honest, the amount of pain I feel right now, it doesn't particularly seem to quench that pain. Well, praise God that we have a Jesus who understands our suffering. We read of Jesus in Hebrews 12 that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated, here we see it again, at the right hand of the throne of God. Or to put that verse another way, Jesus, fixing his eyes on the end of the story, endured the cross. See, Jesus understands what it means to go through pain, but trying to cling on to a future picture of glory. 
We, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Jesus. You think, you know, he's, he's bulletproof. He'll be fine. He knows what's coming. He never struggled. No, Jesus, even in that moment, what do we read? It says he sweat blood. He said to his father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way that you can change the story to make this possible, then please let it be so. But he said, but not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, Jesus said, I, I, I feel this pain. I feel this suffering. I feel this struggle. But I know that one day will be a future glory. And as such, I can live through what I'm going through now. See, Jesus understands what it means to suffer. We have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace who's with us in the storm. See, that's how you have a peace that passes understanding. A peace that people around you say, look, considering all that you're going through, yes, I know you're finding it hard, but you seem to just have a different perspective on what you're going through than I see in other people. And that's because we know that this is never the end of the story. And that our Jesus is with us even in the pain. Now, I just want to get really practical I feel like there's many of us here who know this to be true, who, what I'm saying today, like, yeah, no, I believe that, I know that to be true, but in reality, John, I find it hard to kind of, to, to, to kind of a week in, week out live it, to know it, to experience that. And I think that's understandable, because the reality is we are surrounded by a world that is living out a different story. We're surrounded by TV shows and films and magazines and uh, all these different kind of things on our screens that are telling us a different story. Surrounded by colleagues and family members and neighbors who are making decisions that point to a different reality. And so naturally, as human beings, you can read the countless psychological studies that uh, will show you this. We are conformed to the people, to the stories we're around just happens naturally. You're kidding yourselves. You think, I'm a free spirit. I never get affected by anyone else, by no one around me. I make my own decisions and live my own way. We are all impacted by the voices and the stories around us, which is why it's so important to surround yourself with the Word of God, with the story of God. See, if day in, day out, you're hearing one thing, it's important that day in, day out, you are consuming another thing. Spending time every day with God, reminding yourself of the story that you live in. Weekly, spending time with brothers and sisters who are living the same story. It's why we talk about community so often. Like, Why every week they talk about community? Well, because if you think that 90 minutes on a Sunday morning is going to somehow compete with hours and hours and hours between Monday to Saturday... You are kidding yourself. We need one another, brothers and sisters. I need you. You need me. We need community. We need to be surrounding ourselves with people who say, look, I know you're going through that, but look up. Look up. I know that you're struggling with this and that, but remind yourself of the truth. It's why we need one another. It's why we need to be saturated with the word, the story of God. See, brothers and sisters, we know how the story ends. We know the story of King Jesus, the one who knows our pain, the one who endured the cross so that he could have relationship with us. The king 
with nail-pierced hands. The king who's coming again. And let's be clear, when he comes again, it won't be like the first time he came. See, when he came the first time, he rode in on a donkey. His kingly procession was one of, of humility. When he comes again, he will come on a white steed on the clouds, in full power and glory. See, before the resurrection, Jesus was in a state of humiliation. From the resurrection onwards, he is forever in a state of exaltation. John Flavel says this, Oh, what a change is this. Here he sweated, but there he sits. Here he groaned, but there he triumphs. He lay upon the ground. There he sits in the throne of glory. We know how the story ends. We know how the story ends. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is ruling and reigning and forevermore shall be. And if you and I are in him, we are seated in heavenly places with him. Whatever you're going through right now, bring it before that truth. Whatever pain, whatever suffering you're going through, lift your eyes to the things above. One day he will wipe away every tear. One day your suffering will cease. One day he will wrap up all of history and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all earthly striving will cease. That is our hope. That is our story for those of us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just encourage you to, to bring your heart before God. All of these amazing truths that we've read, that we've heard, been reminded of, they're available for those of us in Christ. I just want to encourage you, if you're someone who would say, I don't know if I can claim those truths for myself yet because I, I don't know if I'm in Christ. Well, the amazing invitation of Jesus is that his arms are open to you today. That you can enter into that eternal story today. You can be in Christ right now. And I feel like there's also some people here who, again, you know this to be true, but you just feel, <laughs> you said peace, John, that's the last thing I feel at the moment. Anxiety seems to be the word over my head, not peace. Maybe that's about things in life, or maybe that's the things of death. The invitation for you is to come and know the Prince of Peace, to lift your eyes to him. So wherever you are, let's just bring these different things before him now. Jesus, we thank you that you are the risen King. We worship you, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none like you. How can it be that you, in all majesty, stepped down and bore our sin and carried our shame? And how can it be that you have defeated sin and death and hell on our behalf? We thank you, Lord. We worship you. And we want to live like those who know the ascended and risen King. 
So Lord, I just want to lift up all those who right now are saying, I, I don't know if I know Jesus for myself, but I want to know him, Lord. Would they know your presence in their life right now as they invite you in? And Lord, I lift up every person right now who feels anxious, feels fearful, who wants to know your peace, but it feels like a long way away. Thank you, Prince of Peace. Thank you, wonderful counselor, that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. Thank you that your promise is that you will never leave them and never forsake them. Lord, would we be a community of brothers and sisters who point one another to you? May we invest in family, invest in community, invest in spending time in your word because we know the greater story and what a privilege it is that that is now our story. Thank you, Jesus. This is all possible because of you. We're so grateful. So grateful.